Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the One More Jump podcast by Rise Pole Vault. Today's episode is brought to you by Magic Mind. Magic Mind is the new productivity shot that I have been taking and have absolutely been loving. I'm extremely busy doing stuff with Rise, doing the podcast, doing PVR, doing being a dad, being all these things, and caffeine was not cutting it for me anymore. Uh, it was making me too anxious, and I was like having panic attacks and stuff. Um, Magic Mind is really a great, great product. I am somewhat of a supplement connoisseur at this point in my life. Uh, throughout my athletic career, I always dabbled in different supplements that could you know, give me an edge. And now I'm looking for an edge in my brain. And Magic Mind has been absolutely amazing. Today's episode is with Katerina Stefaniti. Uh, she came in as a part of the Essex Dealers Conference that we hosted at Rise. Just really quick on the Essex Dealers Conference, it was so much fun. It was, it was just really, really cool to have people, I guess selfishly, like to have people that are like in my similar situation trying to grow the pole vault through, you know, services and, and their gym and, and so on and so forth. But it was so cool to have such amazing conversation and just like bringing up really, really hard questions that have to be answered in order for the pole vault to move forward to a bright future. And we wrestled with some of those really hard questions, and I just absolutely loved it. Um, Essex did a great job. Uh, they're, they've got some incredible things in the works for the next few years. And yeah, I, I just had an absolute blast. But we had the opportunity to sit down with Katerina Stefaniti, the 2016 Olympic gold medalist, and it was such a great conversation. And uh, Mitch, her coach, we were able to, or coach and husband, um, and he is extraordinarily smart <laughs> as well. Uh, he's like super, super shy and super chill. But man, once he started going, I was like, everyone was like, did you talk to Mitch? Have you talked to Mitch yet? He's so smart. Um but yeah, anyway, it was it was a really, really good conversation. And again, I'll stop rambling in just a second. Just wanted to say again that the podcast does such a great job of adding context to what you always see on the internet, which is just somebody pole vaulting. It's just like, oh, look, you know, they won the gold medal and that's the gold medal jump. And then the next, you swipe, the next story. Oh, look at this person. This is them pole vaulting. Swipe to the next story. Oh, look at this person. Uh, it's it's them pole vaulting. And so on and so forth through everybody's stories. And what the podcast does is it turned, for example, turned Katarina's Olympic gold medal into something that I had no idea that it was. I had no idea the backstory behind it. And it's so cool that we're able to do this. And and I'm very thankful for her for sitting down and just being open and willing to take time out of her day and and Mitch as well. Um, but yeah, just very, very grateful. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with 2016 Olympic gold medalist and 
her husband, Katerina Amich. We're good. We're good. Do, do you guys pay for the heat and electricity or is that part of the rent here? We pay. Yes, yeah, that's a good question. So we pay. I will interview you. Hey, that's fine. Hey, and, and the, the cool thing about the podcast is we're already going. Oh, perfect. <laughs> this is the podcast. So yeah. So the question was, do we pay for heat and electricity? Yes. Yeah, so we're. Our lease agreement, which you can negotiate anything right. in a lease, yeah. you know. But our lease agreement was that we are going to be responsible for all utilities. Okay. And then I believe I'd have to look at our lease, but I believe we're responsible for like maintenance of the HVAC, like so like the heaters oh. Oh, and okay. stuff. Okay. Um, but if they fully break, then they they pay over. for that. Okay. Like these pipes up here, you can see uh, those leaked, so those had to be oh, replaced, and okay. we didn't have to pay for that. So any. Um, Ty said it the other day. What was the word? Infrastructure. Yeah. Any infrastructure stuff, toilets, stuff like that. Okay. We don't have to pay they for take that. Care of it. Okay. Um, so, but like we got to pay for like snow removal. Um, just for in front of your doors. Yeah. yeah. Just in front of our doors. But we, like people with the building, we just pool money together okay. and, and pay. So it doesn't end up being that much. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll buy you guys. It would be. A lot yeah, of money. Yeah, you'll be surprised. We so we were in Ohio for what seven years since two thousand two thousand fifteen to twenty one yeah. six six and a half years. We got way more snow in Ohio, in Ohio. than we do now in Not the mountains. More inch wise, just it melted way. It in the mountains, it'll snow and then melt right away because we right. had so much snow or sun in Colorado. Right. And in Ohio, there was never sun. Well, and then were you guys in a part of Ohio that you would get lake the effect? Snow belt. Yes. Yeah. 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 We, we purposely yeah. picked oh, in yeah. the snow belt. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I remember I went to a meet. Uh, Dennis Mitchell used to have oh, like yeah. the in Akron, Akron yeah. thing out there. I, I drove out there one time and I jumped really well. I qualified for USAs, which for me was a really big thing. Um, and I remember driving home, getting caught in a snowstorm, yeah. like in that snow belt area. And I was on the side of the road for 14 hours <gasps> with a broken down car. <laughs> and oh, just like, yeah. I had my hunting bibs on, like, you know, like my big, you know, snowsuit basically. And I, it was a bad situation. A, co a cop car pulled over <laughs> and was like, are you all right? And I was like, well, I'm stranded on the side of the road in a really bad <laughs> snowstorm. And he's like, okay. See you later. <laughs> and then he just <laughs> left. And I was just there. It was really sketchy. It was really sketchy. But yeah, And I feel like they go with less snow down there at Akron. Yeah, but to come back here, he probably went back up yeah, to Cleveland, Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. No, Cleveland, Toledo. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, Toledo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was... It was supposed to be like a seven or eight hour drive. It ended okay. up being like a 17 or 18 hour yeah. drive. It was yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> crazy crazy ride but anyway thank you guys so much for coming yeah. really appreciate it all the way from colorado and uh we're here at the essex i think they're calling it the dealer conference um so if people at home hear noise in the background that's what it is <laughs> i think it's ren's bloom 
talking about uh, how they're trying to sell poles in uh, Europe. <laughs> so anyway, um, thank you guys so much for coming. And I guess we could just kind of get started with like, we know a lot about like Katerina and all her success, like after college and winning an Olympic gold medal and all those things. But I personally don't know much about how you started. And I think it might be interesting to hear that coming yeah. from an international perspective. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I was born in Greece. I grew up in Greece um, in 2000, right after the Sydney Olympics, first Olympics where women's pole vault competed. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad said, oh, you know, I think you'll be good at this event. Uh, so we went to the Olympic Stadium in Greece and we tried my both my parents did track and field, so they both had a lot of connections with coaches in the federation. Uh, so we instead of going to a club, which is what most people would do in Europe, we went straight to like the federation coach. Uh, everybody in that group was, you know, twenty three, twenty four years old or older, and then there was me. And the coach, the very first day I tried out, said, "Oh, I think you could be good at this." Uh, so he brought in a couple of other girls, then one girl left, then boy came. He always tried to have some other, like, kid around me, just for me to have, like, friends of my age. Yeah. Um, so that was about ten, ten and a half years old. I was in 2000. Uh, in 2001, so at 11, I actually broke the world age group record for 11 years old but it didn't count oh, because no. in greece there was no competitions for 11 year old girls for pole vault so i had to compete in like a guy's masters competition i jumped 230 <laughs> so i actually don't know what the 11 year old record is now but if you had counted it might have still been it <laughs> and then 12 what, what was it do you remember two 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 meters 30 two meters 30 wow so that's crazy yeah, yeah. um then I broke the 12-year-old, which did count, 13, 14, and at 15, I broke the 16 and the 17-year-old age world record. Whoa. Yeah, so at 15, which will be a freshman in high school here, yep. I, I jumped 437, 14, 4. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah, but, but listen to this. Uh, didn't PR again until my junior year of college. <laughs> So six years. Holy cow. That's yeah. actually a really, really good thing to talk about because we deal with athletes all the time that are frustrated that they haven't PR'd yeah. like in the last month. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, <laughs> so like talk about like what that was like, like mentally and just everything going through having not PR'd in that amount of time. Yeah, so I'm going to put some, some like bits and pieces in there from my story also because I think it's important. So, Absolutely. So at 15, I jumped 437. That summer, I win the, um, we were calling it Youth World Championships. I think now they call it the Under 18. Well, I actually think they stopped it now. U20. No. Is that what it is? No, it was U18. Uh, they stopped it a few years ago, actually. It was too expensive for World Athletics, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I was two years younger than everyone when I won it. Um, and the next year, I started having... I mean, I gained a little weight, but not looking back at pictures and videos, not enough for like the freak out that went on at the time. Uh, we went to different dietitians, uh, diets that even right now that... You know, my livelihood is vault. I don't think I could follow. Uh, wow. And ended up kind of in, you know, the the edge of bulimia, I would say. 
maybe a little past it, I don't know. Um, so I quit. At 16 years old, I quit pole vault. Uh, would go out and like jog and... I had around my 17th birthday. I said, you know what? I like pole vault as an activity. I don't need to be an Olympic champion. I just like pole vault. So I went back into pole vault, significantly overweight, I would say, at that point. And, uh, with a different coach. With a different coach. So instead of going back to the federation coach, I actually started being coached by an old teammate who had just retired and was now uh, you know, starting to coach. And that summer... Uh, so two summers basically after, you know, my, my good year of like the under 18 world record, uh, I went to world youth, cha- so under 18 championships again, and I was second. Uh, I jumped 425. I took attempts at equaling my outdoor PR. Um, so it did feel like, you know, I had just only practiced for six months and go to take attempts tying my PR right. I was second in the world again so okay that wasn't such a terrible year yeah. um the next year I had a little bit of a mental block qualified at the time uh, there was like an A and a B standard for under 20s uh-huh. so I qualified with a B standard like the worst right, standard right, yeah uh and they kind of took me because I was who I was and I had already gotten a couple medals and I qualified for the final for under 20s I think I was like 11th, like at the very edge. Mm-hmm. And then in the final, I had like a 15 centimeter season best. Again, 425 actually. Oh, wow. Uh, ended up third. Uh, so I ended up getting a medal in the under 20s too in a year that I did not expect it. And then that fall, I came to the US uh, to start college at Stanford. Um, my freshman year was a disaster. Just weight, very, very different training than I was used to. Um, who are you training with there? So my freshman coach was Coach Mac, okay. uh, who is actually coaching a lot of uh, multis at Chula Vista now. Yep. Um, I think he's a very, very good coach. I just think I'm a very different athlete. Mm. Um, we kind of say like more like a Porsche than like a, you know, a truck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and kind of need to train that way. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there were, there were some issues in my first, um, but I think freshman year is hard for almost everybody. Uh, I always tell kids expect to not do great your first year in college. And that year, actually, I started looking at different types of scholarships to quit pole vault again, but I wanted to stay at Stanford. Mm. And that summer, Coach Mack left and Toby Stevenson came in as a coach. And Toby was one of my favorite pole vaulters growing up because I grew up in this like very like Russian military type of like, this is the only way to be successful. And Toby was like so far away from that. And I was like, well, look, he's successful. Like you can do it a different way. So it was kind of motivating for him to like become a coach. He had just retired. And that brought a little bit, you know, motivation back to me. I jumped, I think, I don't know, 14, one, my sophomore year with Toby. Oh, I can't remember, actually. It's a lot, long time ago now. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. And then I think my junior year, I finally PR'd, jumped over 440. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so what was that feeling like? Where was it? How did it oh, happen? Gosh. Do you remember? I don't remember. You can't remember? No, oh, no. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, man. Yeah, I cannot. 
I think there was just so many times between those, you know, in those six years that I did attempt a PR. Yeah. That I don't quite remember where I finally got it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's very, very interesting, and that's a really good point that you bring up about your freshman year of college. Yes. Like I, I blew up my freshman year of college. Like it was you know, blew up, my weight blew up, my everything blew up my freshman year of college. And it's, uh, I think it's important for kids to understand, yeah. you know, that's a big change. Yeah. You don't realize it's happening. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're on your own. Yep. It's a new training regimen. And, and yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And you're making that decision based around talking to somebody for a few phone calls. So I have been following a company called Magic Mind for probably a couple years now. I've tried so many different supplements and elixirs and all types of things um, to try to perform at my best. And Magic Mind was just something that kind of came on my radar a couple years ago, but they recently reached out and were like, hey, we like the podcast and you should try Magic Mind and see what you think. I They didn't know this, but I had been dealing with a lot of stimulant, like caffeine related issues, which are common issues whenever you use caffeine, which is you get super, super up and it, it, there's nothing like having caffeine in the morning if it treats you well. It, it's the best. You know, you get so much done and you feel good and your your mood is elevated. But what I was finding is the more I was adding to my plate, the more caffeine was starting to tear my day apart. And when they reached out, I was a little bit hesitant, but I've been trying it now for a while and it has really just eliminated all the negative side effects that I used to have from caffeine, such as anxiety, um, drop in energy, um, just kind of just feeling frazzled all day long with all the things that I do. And it has just given me just pinpoint focus on whatever the task is that I'm doing. Um, so Magic Mind is like, it's a blend of different nootropics and adaptogens and these things that I've actually tried before. But the cool thing about it is that they've blended them perfectly into some combination of these things, which has taken my caffeine intake and it has just extended the life of it and then reduced the negative symptoms of too much caffeine. I'm super pumped on this new company and I hope that we have a long relationship in the future. It has really helped me out in my personal life and I have a discount code that you guys can use to um, try it out for yourselves. Uh, so if you visit www.magicmind.com backslash one jump, um, you can get up to 56% off your subscription for the next 10 days if you use my code one jump 20. Um, definitely got to do this, especially if you have issues with caffeine not treating you well. Um, it is taking my caffeine. And I used to do, this is embarrassing to say, 
I used to get up to like 800 milligrams of caffeine a day, uh, building rise and doing all the things that I've done over the last three years. And it started to really get nasty. And now I've went from 800 milligrams to one serving of caffeine in the morning with magic mind. So it's been a game changer for me and I hope it's a game changer for you guys. Again, that discount code is one jump 20 O N E J U M P 20. Go check it out. Like, oh, I had never been to the U S until I moved into the dorm. <laughs> Stanford, isn't, that, yeah. isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's just like, yeah. I mean, you have a couple conversations with somebody and then you're like, yeah, I'm going to spend the next four years, yeah. you know, training <laughs> yeah, with you. Sure. And I think we're a great fit. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's like that, that, you know, even with you and Toby, I'm sure that it probably took a year or two and then it started to really start to click. Or... You know, I will say that with Toby, it was easy or easier anyways, because I, I think his type of training and what he did was much more similar to what I was used to. So I and was what used is to... that? What is that? I was used to doing sprints and my sprints were maximum up to 60 meters. After that, it was not a sprint. It was a stride. Yeah. We would do it just for rhythm. Uh, and that's kind of what we did. In fact, with Toby, we did a lot of 30 meters. Um, there's like some flying stuff, more plyos. Um, <clears throat> with Coach Mac, we did a lot more long distances that I had never in my life done. Long like, distances had been like 200, 300, 400. Yeah. 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 Okay. I just didn't have the base for it. And of course, this is what you go to college. You try to become better. But for me, I, I think I was getting like a little injured from that. I yeah. bulk up pretty easy. So I think part of the weight I gained my freshman year was a lot of muscle. Mm. Um, we did do a lot more like volume in lifting. I think there's there's times to do everything maybe. But I think we still be, we found like a slightly better balance. Yeah. Uh, and... I just think, you know, for somebody like me that I started at 10 years old and moved to <coughs> the U.S. at 18, I've trained eight years in a very specific way. Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard to go a completely different way. I think yeah. I think a certain that certain type of training with like more volume could be very beneficial for somebody who grew up that way and had that base, but I couldn't sustain it. Think about this for a second. This is something that I've been kicking around for like the last few years is... Because you oftentimes see that there's like this kind of stigma with like, oh, whenever you go to college, like you're not ready for the college training. Like you're not ready for it. Like it's, we're going to kill you. Like, <laughs> like yeah. it's just like, okay, you know. And then what happens is, is you end up seeing a lot of people come back and having gained significant amount of weight. And some of that, in my opinion, could be muscle. You know, if they're training really hard, they could be gaining muscle. But also, there's also the idea that your body is constantly stressed. And if your body yeah. is constantly stressed, it feels like it's dying. And what is it? It's not going to release anything. It's going to hold on tight to every single yeah. little thing that it can because it feels like it's dying. You're killing it. <laughs> And then once you, st the fun, the ironic thing is, is once you stop doing all that crazy, crazy training and just modest, like high intensity, low volume training, you're all of a sudden your weight just kind of yeah. regulates again back to its natural state, not this state of just constant stress. And so that's what I like this fall, like college fall training 
I always gained so much weight during college fall training. And I think it was because my body was just getting beat the crap out of it, you know? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. What do you think about that? Mitch, step up. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Trying to pull talk. Me <laughs> I don't have anything insightful here. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think that can be. But I also think that it's possibly at that point in the season, it's good to train heavy. Yeah. Like, I think it's not such a bad thing to train a little heavier. And then you come into peaking in season and you're a little lighter and everything's just a little easier without doing that makes anything. Sense. Yeah. So I don't think that necessarily always it's a bad thing, but... I, I agree. It's probably just survival mode of the body and survival mode. Yeah. That's what I, 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 and you know, I don't, I haven't done enough research to have any science to back that up. It's just like a thought experiment that I've been going through in my head to like, think about like, why would it be that, that we see kids come back from college on college breaks and they've kind of ballooned up a little bit. And, and it's like, Hey coach, how you doing? Like, you know, I'm like, how, how's college, you know, how's college? And like, I got shin splints and, <laughs> and, and I've gained 15 pounds. And I haven't been drinking at all. <laughs> yeah, right. It's right. Exactly. That. Exactly. So, and I'm but not. But it's a hard age too, especially for girls, I think, like hormonal changes. Right. Like, I feel like I didn't eat that bad at one, one point in college and I was way heavier. So I think it, it is right. also like you know, this hormonal regulation that for some people happens in a year and for some people it happens in five years mm. and then you can like be normal again. But you've had like change of diet too. And when we go okay, to Greece, it's technically good food, Mediterranean diet. Right. I gain weight every year. Because really? it's food that I'm not used to processing. Mm. More olive oil than you will ever eat in your entire life. Her mom it's uses true. at least like this bottle of olive oil it's every true. day. Yeah. It's crazy. They have a but pump on wild. the olive oil thing in their house. <laughs> There's two, two daughters, a husband and a wife, and they have an olive oil container with a pump. Literally. That but, is but, so funny. But I lose weight every yeah, time we go does. back. So my body knows how to process that food. And Maybe you're doesn't. just better at burning like fat yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, maybe you're just but your body's more adapted to burning fat and our american bodies are adapted to burning carbs (laughs) (laughs) and and process yeah Yeah, i just this is actually a good experiment that you know i you you could just you could try it wouldn't really impact you that much but this is how i got on that thought pattern was that i started to see a high correlation between when I first start my like when I would first start my squat program at the beginning of the year, that's when you're re- you get really sore and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sore. And I would start that squat program and I would instantly gain five pounds. Yeah, me too. And me too. and I would be like, what the heck? I'm yeah. eating the exact same that yeah. I was prior to this. And then two weeks later, almost on the dot. Once that soreness was gone, I was five pounds down. And yeah. I would be like, okay, it seems like my body is holding on to stuff to repair itself yeah. and then releasing it once it's done. For sure. No, you and know? to and to your point, I think I do I do the exact same thing. I cycle through our training cycles the same way. And I also cycle throughout the season where I'm always a little heavier indoors and I'm I always lose weight outdoor. And I'm not trying to lose any more weight outdoor. So it's almost like what you're saying. There's this stress in the body from, you know, winter training or preseason or whatever you want to call it. That slowly kind of goes away as you're peaking and like the weight also goes away. Right, right. Yeah, it's 
it's an interesting thing to think about. But uh, anyway, so now whenever you were at Stanford, what I'm just curious, what, what did you study? Like, uh, I studied human biology. Uh, it was a very multidisciplinary field. So people went, you know, to like... Uh, healthcare and just I I did neuropsychology was like my main uh, focus Mm. and then after I graduated I moved to Arizona I was in a PhD program and trained with them at Nick Heisong's place Mm. Uh, and that's how I met Mitch actually and I studied cognitive psychology there so that was the PhD program I was in I finished my master's in 2015 and I said no, maybe it's a good year to take a year off of school. and. But she really it. didn't. She wanted a PhD because she wanted to be a professor. Yeah, I want to and teach. And she yeah. realized the bureaucracy in yeah. universities that it's more just about money, not really yeah. teaching the kids. It's about getting research grants. And right. research grants require you to do what you don't like to do. And it's not about teaching. It's about the bringing research. in money. Yeah. Right. So she was deterred by that. And that's when she said, I don't want the PhD anymore. I think I have yeah. the master's. I, why would I do this? I don't want to use it now. Right. So. That's interesting. Yeah. So is there, so you originally wanted to be a professor yeah. at a university yeah. in psychology. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, th- I feel like giving a lecture is very much like performing in sport. Like you have to spend the time to be prepared for it. I think there is a little bit of natural talent involved in like lecturing, but you also have to do the work and then you're like on stage and you have to perform now. So it feels very similar right. to me, like sport. Uh, I think I, I would be very good at it, but there was this, like during my, my master's slash PhD time, we accepted all these like research studies that brought a lot of money to the university that had nothing to do with what we were studying. First, I don't think we had good enough experience to study what we were being given to study. And second, we had most, I had no interest in studying what we were being asked to study, but there was a lot of money from like the military. So we were like, oh yeah, we'll do that. So it was very driven by like, Whatever we tell you, whatever, whoever's given us the money, that's what we study. I, I mean, at the time <laughs> I, I was with a younger professor, so he would like apply for a ton of grants and we did a lot of functional MRIs. So I think that was like mostly what they were going after with picking our lab. Mm. Uh, but just the topics were not so related. So then you're doing your own research for what you want to have your master thesis or PhD thesis on and something super random. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I I mean I hear a lot about all that goes on inside of the universities, and yeah. it's just too much for my head to handle. <laughs> um, what was your so you went through college, and then what like after that junior year? So you have your personal best your junior year, and then tell us about like kind of ending college and then pushing into like that post collegiate career. <clears throat> yeah, so my senior year was two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. Um, I also went through a little mental block in the outdoor season. What's a mental block? Because you said that a couple mm-hmm. times. What different? Dif- I guess I would define it differently at different ages because I've gone through different ones. But I would say it's like a run-through issue. But I feel like to a different level every time. Mm. Like sometimes it will be up to a certain pole. Other times it will be all poles. Other times it will be a certain run. Uh, so that. I feel like that summer I would like not take off on anything like that spring and then we went to pack 12 so that was the first year pack 12 actually 
uh, I think it was in Eugene, and I kind of came out of nowhere. Not out of, I mean, I was, I was one of the favorites based on my PR, but I hadn't been jumping grade, mm-hmm. and it kind of came out of nowhere and PR'd. I jumped 448, which is actually, I think, now the Stanford school record. Uh, two centimeters under the Olympic standard. Ooh. It was 450. Yeah. Right. Uh, so we, Toby kind of found some small competitions here and there and we chased that Olympic standard and we got it. I jumped 451. So I competed in the London Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, I mean, I was going to Arizona. Like there was like a very clear path of this is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to study and I'm going to keep pole vaulting on the side. You looked at Chicago too, though. She... I did. Yeah, I came and interviewed here actually. Yeah. At, at what? At University of Chicago. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, good psychology program. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good school. Yeah. 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 A little tough side of town, but it's yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't. I have no idea where I would train. This was the harder part. And oh, in yeah. in Phoenix, it was this, like really cool group. At that time in Illinois, like if this would have been here, like yeah. at that time, it would have been yeah been okay. But at that time, there was just nothing. Yes. Like sustained. Like that was you could count on every week. To For like sure. Go and the and indoor, nothing indoor. Yeah. 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 I jumped at University of Chicago, uh, their indoor facility one yeah. time. They got like a little raised runway, and my buddy like landed in the box and snapped his leg in half <laughs> in, yeah. that, in that box. Yeah. So every time anybody says University of Chicago, yeah. I just think about that. It's a bad, bad situation. Were you there <laughs> for that one? I was. It actually, uh, it was the reason why I didn't want to go to North Central. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's sketchy. So, anyway, so really quick, just a little segue. I tell our guys all the time, like, I wish I could talk to somebody who's a run-through guru. Do you guys have any suggestions for helping people that have significant run-through issues? Tough, tough I mean, one. to me, most of the time it's coming from a functional problem, not a mental problem. Right. So I think, depending on the degree, I would always just move back and start back. and Move back. Move forward. Right, right. And start over. And start from Even ground one. in 2022. Yeah, we had many years U- that Eugene, were Eugene, right before Eugene, like a month before Eugene, she decided she, she would not plant a pole. Mm. She would not plant two steps. Mm. Like could not plant it. Not 22. It, but anyway, I feel like there's several years where in one practice, I would start, you know, my little drills. I will go to like a four left, take some nice jumps. I will go to a six or a seven or an eight. And then I will suddenly on not change anything. I will suddenly stop taking off. Mm. Um, and many times we'll have to come back to the beginning and start the practice from the beginning. Many times we'll have to work through it. And, but I feel like those practices are the ones that make you better. Like, pff. It's yeah. easy when it's easy to just come take some jumps. Yeah. Like, how do you get over that? I think this is what you're training, really. Right. And I do think it's different for everyone. I think it's different every year. I've used different yeah, techniques, different. you know, mental right. cues every year. But for sure, I do think that, at least for me, I, I don't feel like I'm scared of a pole or pole vaulting. I think whenever I do run through, it, it's a... <clears throat> 
a posture change in the run, whether it is because I took a new pole or... But like most of the time, I, I didn't change anything when I started to run through. So I just would start running different and then run through, and then you run through a couple of times in a row, and then you're like, oh, no, I'm running through now. Well, even if it's... start running. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> even if it's like, a, like you're going up a pole and, and the weight is just For sure. slightly yes. heavier, yeah. you know, and then that slight... And then you start to drop that pole, and it feels yes. like it's dropping, and it's too heavy. It, I mean, it's this much heavier and you know yeah. that but while you're doing that at that high of a level it can become very overwhelming and then you get to this crux of the run where it's just yeah. like okay what way am i going am i going this way or am i going that way yeah. and, and the problem is like a lot of the kids we work with they just keep choosing that run through direction and and it's it's a very i think it's a uh some sort of functional thing too like i think i think with the kids we work with probably not you i'm not trying to like coach you or anything. <laughs> <laughs> what what i'm saying is is the kids that we work with sometimes their pole tips are so high so late in the run yes that visually and like their depth perception is like like their brain's like no 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 red red yeah. red stop 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 because their pole tips so high and the box is so close and it's like you know, throwing them the yeah, wrong yeah. signals, you yeah. know. And then the other thing too is that posture. If they start falling forward, they start falling down and and then it just, you know, throws up those red flags. But I think my one of the most interesting podcasts I ever did was with Steve Hooker. And we talked about I didn't know this, but he said he ran through for like three years straight. Yeah, we saw him at Chula, Chula Vista, Vista and he yeah. wouldn't take a jump on a fourteen foot pole. Yeah. He ran through for three years. Yeah. yeah. I remember towards the yeah. end. Yeah. I was like, what? That yeah. is crazy. And For somebody too, who like was injured when he won the Olympics and yeah. like came in at like 590 or whatever it was, yeah. you know? But maybe that distraction also helped him. If yeah. he's already a mental person and injury is a good distraction. I think probably he is either way on or yeah, way yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can do what he did in Berlin at those world championships, yeah. he was on. Yeah. And and when and when that person like that is on, nobody can stop him. Yeah. You know, but then they kind of swing back this other way and and he had a hard time. But he said the same exact thing. You just have to start over. Yeah, you have I to think start you over. You have to just go back. And especially with young kids, what's the hurry? Right. They yeah. They're not going to do anything in college anyway. If you jump 460 in college, congratulations. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying that to deter you. Right, I'm right. saying that as good or bad, it's not going to make your future. Your future is your future. And we always say the people who make it professionally in pole vault are the ones who just stick with it. Yep. And you yeah. see it over and over and over. This girl jumped really high her freshman year of college and then for five years struggled. Mm -hmm. And then just kept going and going and going. And finally, she'll just kind of climb in and walk yep. on and we've always seen that and people get in such a hurry you just if, if you out you can outlast people for sure yeah. and i think <laughs> if you just slow steady consistent jumping all the time always works yep i well, would rather you landing off the back of the pit jumping on way too small of a pole and jumping and getting a feel of a pole than running through absolutely yeah. I thank you care. for saying that yeah like to me especially in high school like if you jump 19 feet in high school as a boy, it is not going to make you a professional pole vaulter. Yeah. So there's no hurry. You have time. You have years. Yeah. 
consistent jumps, feel the jump, learn to feel the pull, learn to feel the rhythm of the whole event, and it that's, will come. And that's what Brad said about uh, Katie when we were on the podcast is he was just like, the reason that Katie was able to do pretty well these last few years is because she's been able to just be patient and string together multiple healthy seasons and that's the other thing too is if you're constantly just bashing big poles every single day your body's eventually going to wear out and especially as you get older too uh your body's going to wear out and and that's the key thing of what you said right there is just consistency and it's not just one month of taking good jumps or two months it's one year two years three years four years a decade and once you get to a decade of taking consistent jumps without any big interruptions if you're not professional, then then you need to <laughs> <laughs> you need to be done. <laughs> but that that is uh, the absolute truth. So, what is it like winning an Olympic gold medal? Uh, you know, people ask this all the time, but I don't think there's an answer. I don't know. I don't know if Katie has done one of these and answered it or not. She has. Yeah. Uh, I just. For me, so I've now competed in three Olympics, but in Rio I had co- also competed in London. And I feel like I can tell you, and I remember so much more from London, where I think I made one bar, than I can tell you from Rio. Oh because there was like such high stress. You're coming in as, I feel like it was me and Sandy as the favorites at that point. Uh, I got sick, so I was on antibiotics uh, for two days before the final. Uh, I was like running back and forth to the bathroom. She injured her hip flexor at the last diamond league. Uh, like, yes, three weeks. Three weeks before, before. the Olympics, and Jeez. we went back to Ohio, and she couldn't jog. For so two I weeks. didn't. Yes, so for we didn't sprint, we didn't jog, we didn't do anything. Anything for two weeks except rehab and just try to and, like, like lift and mental yeah. work. We yeah. just said, okay, you've done this so many times, especially this season. We're just going to practice it in the mind and try to get your body healthy, and we're going to go there. And hopefully you can last through the prelim and into the final. Yeah, so the, the or, month or the three and a half weeks before the Olympics, I jam- I took four jumps and all four of them were in Rio once we got to Rio. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's crazy. See, this is the part that this podcast yeah. <laughs> is good because nobody knew any of this. Yeah. They just thought that it was just... Oh, Katerina, she just waltzed her way into yeah. the gold medal. <laughs> yeah. And it was a great celebration. Yeah. Yeah, that was a trip. Yeah, but Our the, I bags feel like, didn't make it for like oh, three yeah. days. The poles didn't make it. Yeah, that there. was we the most stressful part. We were on the tarmac part. in Chicago, maybe. No, we were in Atlanta. And I specifically remember, I feel like we landed in A and we had to go to like... Z, you know, <laughs> and we were running because the next flight was the next day and it was full for real. So I was like, what are, what's going to happen? And they kept us on the tarmac for like an hour and a half in the plane. Yeah, so we, we landed, landed in Atlanta and we just sat on the plane. <laughs> they didn't have a gate to get us out. And then we got out and we like sprinted and then we got there and that next flight was also delayed, but the like they were not updating, you know, Google. And we, I think we met up with like Sean Barber there and I don't know, Jeff, I can't remember who was there. Uh, and I said, if our poles make it with us, I will win the Olympics. And our poles didn't make it. And I was like, well, that's not good. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, so hold on, you didn't, your poles didn't make it either? Uh, the, the poles made it, the poles and the backs came three days later, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. 
super that fun. That is yeah. so <laughs> crazy. So what, like, where are your guys' heads at in the midst of all of that? Like, well, probably good distraction, like we talked about yeah, earlier. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. I think almost every championship, like a lot of the European championships, we've ended up the bus doesn't show up to the hotel so we just take a taxi and then they park us like a mile away from where we can enter with the taxi so we're this on has the happened day of a, several times yeah, the, actually three or four times we've, they drive us to the stadium we have to walk like a mile around the stadium on the day of a final <laughs> and then she wins but i always think these good distractions wow. like it keeps you thinking about something else and then you get in there and you're like okay now i'm here to pull vault Well, this actually happened this year in Budapest. Yeah. Of course, I didn't compete. I got injured in the first jump, but the bus didn't show up. We ordered like a lift. Whatever, no, it was Bolt, whatever it was called in, in Budapest. Uh, it couldn't go into like the, the area like of the stadium. So it drove us off in like a random gas station. We climbed over some rocks past like some train racks and like... I mean, we we walked a mile probably to get into the warm-up area. This has happened several times to us. Right. I consider it good luck at this point, except for this year, of course. But <laughs> Yeah, that is really, really crazy. Yeah, that that was something that with my career, like I I remember thinking to myself multiple times, like I remember one time I had to walk like almost a half mile with my bag, my pull bag. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like so defeated like i was like there's no way i'm competing well today there's absolutely no way i'm competing well and i didn't compete well i did terrible <laughs> and it was awful so like there's got to be something different that you guys But look do how mentally. you approached it you said there's no way i can compete well every time something like this happens it's my job to say okay this is going to work out it's going to be nice because we're instead of being in a bus that's crowded and stopped we're going to be in a nice taxi and try to like so your your of the situation into your job we can okay use. okay got you yeah yeah so that was just me just by myself walking with my pool <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't even want to go anymore i'm going right. home it was so hot it was in st louis i was like this is the worst um so that's an interesting thing and that's a very special thing that you guys have is that you have him to be able to just be like hey Because like in your head, like, yeah. so, okay, so you, yeah. so we know what he's thinking now in a situation like that. So what are you thinking in a situation like that? Well, I, I mean, I will say this because I can remember the first time this happened and it was the prelim of the first European championship I won in 2016. And it was like six in the morning and there was a bus there, but there was no driver. And the driver that was there at breakfast was like, oh, I've worked so many hours. I'm not allowed to drive anymore. And we're like, Well, they said there's a bus at 6.30 and like, there needs to be a bus. So you were freaking out a little too. And you had gone up to the restaurant trying to find somebody who could drive us. Yeah. And there were other athletes there. It wasn't just us. I think there was Zook for sure, I remember. I don't remember who else. Um, so I feel like Mitch is like kind of a, a problem solver at that point. And then I feel like once this happened, and it was a prelim, so it was a little like lower stress. I had to jump for 40 or 450, I don't remember. Uh, so it all kind of worked out. Then every time after that, that this happened, we were like, oh, you know, we kind of know what to do now. You just have to stay calm and right. find a taxi and you might be the bus. But yeah. it's like that in the whole sport almost. Like we used to say in 2015-16 yeah. that who's ever prepared for everything to go wrong the most will mm. win. 
And yeah. that's how our sport is. Whatever we want to wish it was, it's not. There's going to be terrible food. There's going to be terrible travel. You're going to show up after like a 12-hour flight and nobody's there to pick you up or doesn't realize you have poles with you to pick you up. Yep. And it's just fighting chaos all the time. Yep. And you just have to have it in your mind. This is not the NCAA. Nobody's taking care of you. Nobody cares. Right. So right. figure it out. <laughs> yes. Get there. Get there ready to jump. No matter how bad your day was, they don't care. They expect you to jump. And I you love have that. to get your mindset around that and work everything you do to work with that. So now we're starting to see the quiet guy no, actually yeah. <laughs> got a lot of good stuff going on, man. This is, yeah, I, we were just talking about it on our last, our last podcast. Um, you know, I've always kind of thought that a person's strength is in their lack of need. Like I... I don't need things to be perfect to jump well. And that makes me stronger. Like I don't need to have, like if, if my poles get lost, I don't need, I don't need my poles. I could jump on somebody else's poles. Like those types of people who are just able to roll with the punches like that are just so strong and they're so hard to beat. Yeah. They're so hard to beat those people because you can't really do anything. Nothing can mess them up. <laughs> you it know? can come back at you though. I feel like a lot of yours. Especially the Diamond League is not set up so that they care about the pole ball. They're not going to turn the pit, no matter who you are or what you are. The TV's set up the day before. If the wind is bad, the wind is bad. Jump in it. Yeah. and That's sad. So for a few years, it was bad at almost every meet. Yeah. And Katarina does very well in bad conditions. She jumps the same. Mm. So we created this mantra in our heads like, okay, no matter how bad the condition, you're going to go in there and you're going to jump the same. So we want bad wind. It's mm. good for us. It's good. And then in I'm like 2019, about. 20, every competition we went to was like perfect straight tailwind. We went to Qatar for world champs and they had an air conditioner that blew a tailwind in an indoor stadium. So it was like the greatest <laughs> setup you could ever me? have. Yeah. And it almost worked to our downfall because for so many years we said, we do better in bad. We don't want good conditions because yeah. everybody else does bad. So mm. then when we got good conditions, we were like, oh, sh crap the girls are going to jump really well because they yeah. all do good with raised runways or tailwinds. Right. So yeah. then right. It, it kind of, you have to be careful about these ideas you set because they work both ways. Yeah. And when situations change. And it always just boils down to balance. You know, it's yeah. just, we have to be balanced as athletes and balanced as coaches and just, you know, really try to emphasize that. So it is interesting. Something I was thinking about on the drive over here is, the concept that you hear sometimes of if you win an Olympic gold medal, you made it the rest of your life. You made it like that's, <laughs> that's it. That's the end. I'll be all. I feel like that's the way a lot of people think. Like if you accomplish this one thing at, at your young age, you know, you've got a lot of life left to live, you know, that it just sets you up for the rest of your life. So tell us a little bit about like, what happened after you won the gold medal and just like some of the good things and some of the tough things? Yeah. Well, so I had like a four year. So 16, 17, 18, 19, I won the diamond league. Uh, I think 17, I went undefeated. I won world championships. I was started in the world. I won two times the European championships. Uh, so it wasn't I won the Olympics and then things came to me. It's like for four years in a row, I won a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, 
things came to me, things came to us. Uh, I th- you have to think, and I, I, this is one of the things I told Katie because we had a long conversation after she won in Tokyo. It's a very different market if you're American and if you're European, especially European from a small country. It's a very different market if you're a sprinter and you're pole vaulter also, right? So we're talking about pole vault now. Um, when I won in Rio, Greece had five medals in those Olympics, not in track and field, in the whole Olympics. So wow. it was one of five medals. Right. Um, you know, when Katie won, she was one of, I don't know, 30 American in track and field. So it's it's a very different market. So we had a lot of sponsors, you know, big sponsors, Olympic sponsors like Toyota, like Visa, uh, smaller companies and it almost becomes a little tough because of these big companies that have big budgets come to you and you start to set your price here and then there's like really cool smaller companies come to you but they can only afford this much and you are like well this is not fair f- for them that are paying me this much for the exact same thing right. but I want to collaborate with you for this and this and this reason but we had a few years that we definitely did very good but I just cannot believe I had six, seven spo- big sponsors, especially at some point, I don't think it's the same for Americans. I think Americans get paid more by um, apparel brands than Europeans do, mm. but they're missing out on all the other sponsors because, you know, Toyota USA is only going to sponsor three people from track and field. There's such a big pool. Right. Visa is only going to sponsor five people from track and field. It's a, it, so I think they, they kind of miss out on that. We do, we make some money. You know, it's, it was very interesting throughout my career. I, at the beginning of my career, the bigger percentage of our income was from competitions. You competed good, you made money. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I started to become more successful, that went down, even though I kept doing good in these competitions. Percentage-wise, that was a small percentage of our income compared to sponsorships. Right. Now, I would say towards like the last few years, it has gone back to, you know, you need to compete good. Right. I mean, we, we still have some big sponsors but it, it kind of goes up and down how like that income works throughout right. your career. Um, I think it very much matters where you're from. I think I'm lucky to be from a small country with less Olympic medals every right. Olympics. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So was that like, did you ever feel like some, when some of these big companies came in and were like, hey, we want to, you know, sponsor you and collaborate with you or whatever. Did you ever feel like pressure? Uh, mm. Like to com- pressure to perform or pressure just like no you know areas. i i feel like with all those companies i actually have well, except for one i have one that i have this like bad feeling about we're, we're not together anymore yeah but all the other companies most of which i'm still with actually uh i know the people mm. i know that they chose to sponsor me and not somebody else with an olympic medal from greece because of me not because i won an olympic medal but they wanted Katerina, they want a Katerina that has a master's degree that studied at Stanford. I think it was like the whole package instead of an Olympic medal, which, like I said, we had five more. Right. And in Tokyo, we, we had different people medal. So I, I do believe that in a small country like this, people get to know you more and companies are choosing to sponsor you not the athlete but the person right right so is there a certain level of celebrity that you like gain in greece whenever you yeah win the gold medal oh yeah it's it, every time after a championship it's pretty crazy 
like this year was by far the worst though and she didn't win any yeah <laughs> it was like you, when you reach 10 years then everybody has to yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you've done this a long time now you're yeah. always on tv you didn't win anything but everywhere we went this year it was just yeah, non-stop was like you, is that right all the yeah. time we eat if this you go summer. to the mall if you go anywhere like people will stop you take pictures they know her like oh my it's gosh. a different world she's like a footballer basketball player would be in the u.s like but there's like How there was over the years there was that. definitely like after a championship it was crazy like i remember after the olympics we pulled over i don't know if you've ever been to Greece. we have this like tiny little market like it's literally like a box that like sells gum and cigarettes because everybody smokes yeah and we literally pulled to the side of the road and mitch, mitch ran out to buy like a pack of gum and people came out of that little like mini market thing to take pictures with me in the car. Like I don't know if they oh recognize him or me from the. It was like insane. That's wild. Yeah, and it has happened after every championship, and then suddenly this summer, like I don't know what happened. I was like, everywhere we go, and you know, Greece has like really bad parking issues, so you have to like know how to parallel park. Mm. And I'm very self conscious about it, and I feel like when I'm trying to parallel park, people are like watching me, and they're like, "Oh, look at her, can very nice can park." <laughs> <laughs> she can pull about sixteen yeah. feet. But she can't parallel park. The funny thing is, she's a very good parker. I don't know why. Yeah. What like, the insecurity? Stress, is. stress out about it. <laughs> I mean, the anxiety when, that you get whenever I have to pull or parallel park <laughs> pretty bad, especially if somebody's like behind you. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. Gosh, it's so bad. Um, so we don't want to keep you too long since, um, you're going to do a little workout after the, like yeah. later on in the day and yeah. we want some time, you know, before that. Um, but where are you at now? Like just kind of where, where are we at? You know, both of you guys, I would be interested to hear both perspectives. Well, Mitch decided to retire. <laughs> really? <laughs> the, the sport is very long it's very stressful it's very frustrating in the beginning i feel like as you're growing in it you learn a little bit more and you're very excited and you think oh if we did this or if we did that as far as like structure of the whole event not pole vaulting i think pole vaulting yeah. is pole vaulting it's relatively easy compared to like helping the sport become a sport right so as she got bigger and she joined like world athletics as a athlete representative and all of this and you find out more and you think things are going well and then you realize how the chaos inside the whole system is and Ugh. it's a long way from changing and a lot of things have to change before small good changes could happen you get a little bit frustrated what are some things that you would want changed? I'm just curious. Like, I mean, for like for instance, street meets and diamond leagues. Like, they're putting street meets out more with professionals because the Olympic Committee wants them to. Because they would like to see events outside of the stadium in the Olympics. So, how would you like to qualify for the Olympics and go jump in a street meet in Tokyo? <laughs> yes are you serious yeah That's so like, this is like yeah. one of the big pushes because they think that we have to continue to change everything to stay tuned to the audience so then all of world athletics money terrible. comes yeah. <laughs> essentially from uh, ioc ioc so okay. ioc gives them money because they compete in the olympics they're the biggest sport you get x money per whatever that and then world athletics gives those that money to federations to support 
the clubs. But then IOC is the one essentially funding everything, even though they're doing... Okay, they're setting up a pretty pretty big meet, pretty pretty good one, <laughs> right? One hundred percent. That you're giving your people, you're doing this. All the athletes are competing. IOC gets the money, then they give it to IAAF World Athletics, and then they decide the rules. But IOC is really deciding the rules mm. based on what they want, which nobody knows anything about track and field in there. They're just doing what they think is going to be popular now, right? Based on a whim, right? And you you suggest basic things like, have you ever done a survey at a street meet to see, is this getting people to come into the stadium? Simple as that. Right. Like, hand out a survey there. Are you more likely, after watching this, to pay for a track and field in the stadium, or are you going to watch it on TV? Because in the street right. meet, they've proved that they're crazy expensive, Yeah, and they bring no revenue. We were talking we're about that yesterday. we're pushing the sport that way. Like, we were talking about it yesterday about how it was just like the first question somebody brought up that they ran a street meet in the States. And uh, they were like, first question, was it profitable? And he was like, ah, no, no. <laughs> Not, you know, and that's what's so hard. And we've talked about it too. Like, do we put on an event? Like, do we put on an event here, like rent stands, like big stands and, and have like an elite event here? Yeah. And we were like, okay, it'll probably cost around, what do we say? 30? <laughs> I think, like, to do it the way we would want to yeah. do it, you do it nice. You have the grand, like, the grandstands, and you, you do, you have the TV, the real thing. And I was like, yeah, we were like, we put it, because we would pay all the athletes, pay them appearance, yeah. all, all of that stuff. And we were like, 30 grand. And then, we, and then we were like, okay, and how much, how much revenue are we going to get yeah. on that 30 grand? And we were like, five <laughs> five grand yeah and it's so difficult man so yeah these street meets that's very interesting i it is interesting because i was i've over the last three years it's like why are, there are a lot of like diamond league street meets and, and like it's frustrating too because even the ceo of world athletics now he used to run a street meet in the uk and he said i do not like street meets they're they um, lose money. They lose money. <laughs> yeah. They cost a lot of money. They take right. a lot of time. They don't do anything. I don't like street meets. Yeah. And then, so we were excited. And then yeah. a year later, he's flip-flopped all the sudden. Yeah. And, okay, we got to have these street meets for this. Well, at least do a survey. Is it doing what you believe yeah. it's doing? We'll write the survey for you. You right. just need to hand it out at all these meets you're doing. Yeah. Nah, I don't know. Like, seriously, this is how we're running a multi-million dollar corporation is now, nah, I don't know. Yeah, I can't take right. this free survey and hand it out and do it. Like, right. Could you imagine that scenario that you're talking about? Oh, we, that you I think, for I think we came close for Paris. Yeah. Yes. So Paris I don't Paris. think it will happen, I, but I think we came close. So I don't know what will happen in LA. Wow. Yes. So uh, I, I don't think I'll compete in LA, so it's not my problem <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I will feel terrible for like all these people that are training for these years to go jump you know, in front of the Eiffel Tower that you probably there's already street me doing that you know right yeah yeah and it's, it's just not the same feel no like when like my brother qualified for the world championships in 22 and i was coaching him there and i was just looking around at, and the stadium was packed and i was just like this is a very special thing like special moment in my life and special moment in his life yeah. and, and then seeing mondo break the world record you know and the whole meet shut down and yeah. clap for him. Like it was so cool. And you just, there's absolutely no way you will be able to recreate that feeling 
on the street. No. No, and it wouldn't Plus, be more profitable. Is it profitable? Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's run a business, please. Like, at the end of the day, yes. is it profitable? Yeah. Stop but, asking everybody to volunteer say, their time for everything. It's crazy. Like, right. We heard a story, I think it was Earl Bell. Somebody walked in his house and Jeff. saw the, a medal on the wall and said, Oh, that's so cool. Can I touch it? And he said, The exact reason you're so excited about seeing that medal is exactly why the Olympics is the biggest scam in the world. <laughs> like, really? you, you use these athletes, you don't allow them to use their own sponsors Sponsor. during this time. Right. And then you make a ton of money. And then you send the athletes away that weren't allowed to make money, even for what they do. And then they made you a lot of money. Like, Whoa. it's to me, this is the NCAA thing where they allowed people to, at least they were getting uh, scholarships. They were getting $40,000, yeah. $50,000 in scholarships. Okay, they're kind of, maybe they're losing out a little, but they're nowhere near to what the Olympics is doing. Wow. I never and thought about that. And if you think that. about it that way, like, It, but it's crazy to to bring it back because this whole conversation started with what would we change about the sport or what is the problem with the sport i would tell you basic things like you arrive at a meet and they come to pick you up with a car that doesn't have racks and mm. okay i can tie the balls on the side but it's not legal in europe you know um i've had that happen where i arrive at a meet and i'm supposed to go to a train so somebody's supposed to meet me take my balls and send me off to the train and I arrive and they say what is this pointing at the poles <laughs> right. uh, I, the, you know you arrive at a meet they come and they pick you up and they say oh we just have to go pick up one more person but the one more person has an hour and a half delay so you're now after you've traveled 10 hours you're waiting at the airport for two more hours for the other person so that they drive you together so they're not going right. back and forth and usually the drives are two two and a half hours yeah. the logistics yeah yes, the logistics, the logistics. Yes. like it, it's tiring you, yeah Travel, travel, travel. You eat terrible hotel food. Usually the hotel rooms are not great. And you just travel in. You do this for three days, travel out, and do it again next week. And yeah. this is I, the life. I and think, it's, it's tough. I think that at this point in our career, if I can go back and say, pay me less money, but I want you to take care of me. Ooh. Like, I want you to bring a car that will take me straight to my hotel. Pay me less money. I don't care. But for the rest of my career, you know. Right. take care of me i think i would do it but i don't think we're ever given the option to do that. pay me less money and take that money and make sure your systems work yeah like whatever systems you're using to manage the meat like make sure they're working yeah like, and i mean it would help my performance too right yeah. if right. i am less tired exactly it that's will help great, your meat that's yeah. a great great comment or yeah. even change the whole setup like right right now it's set up where the diamond league takes care of everything they organize the hotel and then they do the catering and they do the tra transport set it up like tennis you guys get there figure it out prize money is now three times higher because we're not paying for all of this stuff that's, that's not good, good anyway yeah. it's going to make it more entertaining to watch on tv if somebody's jumping for a hundred thousand dollars instead of ten thousand dollars oh yeah you know like i think simple things like that change the marketing they athletes can oh i have a friend in england i'll just stay with them then i'm staying with friends wow that's a great you know point. like we save so much money we save so much time and we can put it back in the sport that helps market the sport not here's these athletes staying at the motel eight and all okay no motel like i don't know It can we get you on the uh, USATF uh, <laughs> <laughs> committee no, or something? We need him as uh, the the head of that thing, man. This is that's crazy. 
That's uh, those are all really great points that I'm sure not a lot of people think about. People yeah. think about when they see you and part of this is social media, part of this is just media in general is they see the the gold medal and the picture with the gold medal and and everything and it's so cool and I'm so thankful that you guys took the time to come in here and just give us some background on what it happens behind the scenes. I don't want to sound too depressing because <laughs> I remember when I was jumping real. and Toby Stevenson had posted a video, something like this, after he retired and said, like, for this all of you that want to make it, this is a hard sport <laughs> and it's not worth, like, yeah. the most deterring thing I ever heard. I, like, wanted to cry afterwards <laughs> and I was like, why did he say that? What is going on? Like, no. And I understand, but I don't want to come across that way because it's cool. You You see the world. Yeah. You see a lot of cool things. You learn a lot of cool people. You It's just many years, you know, yeah. and you are starting to be like, well, you know, we so in the Diamond League, at the end of the meet, they give us a form to kind of give them feedback about different things, how was transfer, how was food. So, you know, for years now, we've given feedback on certain things that have not changed year after year yeah. to the point where you're like, well, I don't want to give feedback no more because I'm just wasting my What's time. Yeah. yeah. I say, oh, you know, it's serious. We're going to make controls of this. Like, you don't change anything. Right. Right. But again, let's try to turn this back to a positive well, note about Well, no, I mean, I mean everybody I, so this will, this will spin it to positive. Everybody would just completely trade everything to be able to have an Olympic gold medal. Like that is a yeah. cool cool thing that to have. And what well, to be given one? To, to because, be given one. Because but, to earn one is actually very to, hard. Right, right, right. But but that's the positive about it. The yeah. positive is that you just you accomplished one of the hardest things there is to accomplish on planet Earth, which is so cool. Like that is a very cool thing. But we can't the way that we stop the progress, because my I've at Rise, like our our situation here and all the things that we're doing, we're really trying to make an impact on on a lot of areas, but the business side of, of pole vaulting and pushing and making smart moves like other sports do. So you can't just keep sweeping this stuff under the rug. You can't you can't mm -hmm. just take all those things that you just laid out and you can't just be like, oh man, all these things suck. Uh, just sweep it under the rug yeah. and move you know, to the mountains and yeah, go biking yeah, every right, day and right. <laughs> enjoy your life. So so that's and and that so I think it is important to bring it up. I, I know it might seem like, oh, it's this is depressing or this is going to deter people. It's not going to deter people. No, it's going to get people fired up. Yeah. It's getting me fired up. Yeah. Like I, I feel like, you know what? Let's start to just go after some of these things, you know? Actually, the international stuff and the world athletics, I'm gonna, I hope somebody else picks that up because <laughs> I, I, I have my ideas about what I think can help, you know, grow our, our sport. But you know in, what, Ty and I were talking about this one day. The problem is the sport has just enough money that you're like, oh, I want to win the demo league. You know, I want to like give it all to win the demo league, to win the world championships. I think if it would almost be better if the sport started losing more and more money for a big restructure to happen. Mm. Versus right now, there's just that like balance that keeps it floating, just not the right way, maybe. An athlete's but I would say to you know the positive note again i think that this is the cool part about their sport because i don't believe 
anybody is doing this for money. I think they're doing it for this higher goal, mm-hmm. regardless of money. I would have still done the exact same thing, even if I didn't make the money I did, because of the goal of wanting to you know, win the Olympics or go to the Olympics, really, because that was really my goal. But you um, shouldn't have to choose that. You right. shouldn't have to choose, right. like, hey, I'm one of the greatest athletes in the world, and I'm going to choose, you know, like... I should be I should be compensated for that, you know, yeah. and and you should be compensated for that if you're helping prepare her for that, and that's just how business works. Because athletics, at the end of the day, is just another business. It's yeah. just another business, especially at the level that you're at, you know, and and it just there's a lot of things that are messed up. But I think you made a point earlier that you said something that's somewhat controversial, which is you know people need to stop thinking that they have to give everything away for free and they have to stop just like being we have to we have to charge money for stuff sometimes and we and and that was was really hard um psychologically for me when i opened this place was Mm. i i i knew what i wanted to do for the community like i knew i wanted to have a place that kids could come and do this i wanted it to be high quality i wanted to have good people incorporated with it but i knew in order to have those things i had to have money and i had to charge people you know for stuff and i hate charging people money for stuff but we will never we will never grow if we don't do that because it's just a basic human thing you know you have something of value that i want which is pole vaulting education or whatever I'm willing to give you some of my money so that you can share with me some of that valuable thing. Yeah. And it's just a basic human exchange. And I'm not, we're not looking for an unfair exchange, just a fair exchange. You're exchanging your information and your resources for my money. Well, and it also, you know, in either example makes you or you more motivated to spend more time, to, to study more, to want to learn more, to teach better. So I think it makes the person who is receiving the money more motivated to do a better job now since they're receiving the money. Exactly. Because when I go home and, and I tell my wife, like, hey, I was gone, you know, all day yesterday, <laughs> all day today. And my kids, I got two little girls. When I tell them, Hey, we're, you know, I was gone yesterday and I'm going to be gone today, you know, tonight, probably too with the camp. Um, but tomorrow we're going to go to a movie because I have mo- enough money to take you to a movie and go do that. So then my family sees like, oh, this is an exchange. Like we're going to have my dad gone for a little bit, but then we get to go and do cool things, you know, with him afterwards. You shouldn't have to sacrifice your whole life to be able to like, try to run something like this or, or things like that you know it's just a fair exchange at the end of the day so i could go for like hours talking about <laughs> this so what are we doing today really quick uh after this what's the workout looking like um so i am at the three left <laughs> right now in the season <laughs> and she's not allowed to go back yeah okay yeah she will very much want to with <laughs> new stimuli she she will go back to a full run and jump on big poles today <laughs> right um i specifically didn't bring spikes for this reason oh okay. uh so yeah where where i three left we i mean i had the injury in budapest so we're just starting to kind of run we've trained a lot really what was the that last injury month. really quick ah uh, so 
in my very first, you know, like one thing that I've done since I was 11, in my very first drill, I felt like I bent the pole a lot and it was going to shoot me out of the pit. Me says I was nowhere close, but I just had this like feeling of like... It was a 12 football. 360 okay. and she was going to jump out of the back of a pit and the funniest part is in that moment in the air i thought oh if you fall off the back of the pit there was like a bunch of camera stuff and i was like you're going to sprain your ankle so i decided i was going to put my heel down on the pit to try to kind of like slow myself down to not go off the back uh-huh. and as i put my heel down my spike got caught on the pit now this is world championship so it's a brand new pit so it's pretty stiff as well and it kind of pulled me this way i don't know how to explain this in words um so it turned out to be i think like a high ankle sprain which does take longer to to recover from mm-hmm. it's been now almost two months we've trained for one month we've done a ton of core i actually feel the strongest i've ever felt starting training oh good yeah so i think there was positives in all of that um i think really at, without the injury I, we wouldn't be jumping right now we you know you we would have taken one was Eugene, uh, the Demoly final, mid-September. Yep. So we would have been, you know, just, just starting. starting, maybe. Not jumping, just starting to train. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm a month ahead because of the injury now yeah, with yeah. everything. Uh, but the other day we did do like a crazy heel workout. So I am a little dead. My calves are a little sore. So I've said, I'm going to start. I'm going to do a warm-up. And, you know, I can take 10 jumps or I can take. 50 so yeah, yeah yeah just see where it goes yeah, yeah. well we're all looking forward yeah. to it she wants to play on the little balls is the truth hey that's <laughs> fine we got a bunch of them over there so <laughs> well thank you guys so much again yeah. really appreciate it and this is the one more jump podcast see you guys <laughs>